0: Awesome God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, we are thankful, Father, for this opportunity, this moment to be able to open up your divine word and study it and grow in it. Father, I especially want to thank you in this prayer for the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing that we're going to talk about in today's study as we consider another powerful parable That was taught by your son. Thank you, Father, for extending to us your grace and your forgiveness. Father, we acknowledge that without your goodness and your forgiveness, we could not be saved. And so bless us, Father, to take this study to heart. Bless us to be forgiving people, to be willing to forgive others just like you have been willing to forgive us. Bless us, God. Let us dig deeply into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another Bible study video. In this particular video, we are engaging in what is our fifth class in a series of lessons that we are currently engaged in called the parables of Jesus. Throughout the month of September and going into October, we're going to be studying the parables of Jesus. We are focusing on Jesus' parables in an effort to keep us focused and thinking carefully about our theme for the year, which is experiencing the fullness of Christ. This year at the Monte Vista Church of Christ, we are focused deeply on the teachings of Jesus and trying to draw closer to Jesus. Now, so far in our studies, we have looked at three specific parables. We have looked at the parable of the sower, that is a parable that talks about the power of the Word of God and how people receive the word of God differently. We've also done a study about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a parable that that teaches us how to treat our neighbor. It shows us clearly who our neighbor is and how we are to treat them in our lives. In our last study, we looked at a, a parable or three different parables about three lost things. We studied the parable about the lost sheep, the parable about the lost coin, and the parable about the lost boy. We looked at those parables because they teach us about the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and they challenge us to make sure that our hearts are always right when sinners give their lives to God. And so those are the parables. Those are the parables that we've looked at so far in the month of September. And in this particular class, we want to look at another powerful parable of Jesus. And this one's going to take us to the Gospel of Matthew. This morning, I want to ask you to go in your Bible to Matthew, the 18th chapter. I want to read to you a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew, the 18th chapter beginning with verse number 21. I want these verses to really just set the scene for everything we're going to talk about in this study. Matthew 18, look with me at verse number 21. Matthew 18, 21 says, Then Peter, the apostle Peter, came and said to him, he said to Jesus, Lord, how often... Shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him, released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I have mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. This right here is the parable that we're going to study in our class this morning, and you may be familiar with this parable. You may know that this parable is commonly called the parable of the unmerciful servant. The parable of the unmerciful servant. You see, this parable actually is founded upon, it is actually told in response to some dialogue that Jesus is having with the Apostle Peter. This parable is actually founded upon a conversation between Jesus and Peter. In Matthew 18 and verse 21, the Bible says that the apostle Peter, he came to Jesus and he asked him a question. He asked him a question about forgiveness. He said, Lord, how often shall I, shall my brother, I'm sorry, sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Here Peter is asking the Lord, when is it enough? When should I stop forgiving my brother? How many times does he need to do harm to me and abuse me and hurt me and ask for my forgiveness and I forgive him? Is seven times enough? Is him doing harm to me And asking ask him for my forgiveness, and I forgive him seven times enough. Now, in order for us to really appreciate this question asked by Peter, it is important that we consider a few critical things. These parables that Jesus taught are not just random parables. They always are found in a context. They're always found in a specific kind of setting, you see, the context of this verse it really goes back to verses 15 through 20 of the chapter. When you go back to to Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 15, and really this idea really begins all the way back at the beginning of the chapter. But due to time in this class, I just want to go back to verse number 15. You see, in the context of what's going on here, we need to understand that the Lord, up to this point, has been giving some critical teaching about church discipline. The context of this parable, the context of this conversation between the Lord and Jesus is found in verses 15 through 20, when Jesus gives critical teaching about discipline in the church, he's giving teaching about what a Christian needs to do when they become aware of a brother in sin or a sister in sin or if a brother or sister sins against them. Jesus says that if there is a brother or a sister in his kingdom or his church that, that does harm to you, that commits sin against you, there are some, some steps you need to follow. There are some things that God wants you to do in response to the sin that a brother or a sister commits against you. Look at verses 15, verses 15 through 20, Matthew 18, verse 15. Now, prior to this, Jesus talked about stumbling blocks. If you look at the chapter closely, he talks about how it is not a good thing to be a stumbling block to a child of God. To to do something that really discourages and even drives away a child of God. That's not a good thing. Jesus talks about that at the beginning of Matthew 18. But look at verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus says this. If your brother sins, some of your translations say, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them... Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Verse 18, this is in the context. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth, and this goes back to verse 16, it's the same idea If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it should be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For, this connects back to the previous verse, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am in the midst. And then Peter asked this question about forgiveness. Let's look at what the Bible says here. Notice how according to what the Lord says, If a brother or sister is in sin, if a brother or sister sins against us, there is a process, a process that God wants us to go through. First, the Lord wants us to go to that individual alone. He doesn't want us to blast it on Facebook or Twitter. He doesn't want us to go ahead and tell everybody in the church. No, Before we do anything else, when somebody's in sin, when somebody sins against us, the Lord says, you go. You go as an individual. You go in love. You go alone and you try to work that thing out alone. You point the sin out to that brother or sister alone. And if they repent and get things right with you and and with God, you're done. You don't need to go any further. You first try to work it out alone. And let's just be honest, this is probably the most neglected commandment in the New Testament. For so many Christians, instead of doing what this verse says and going to a brother or sister alone when they sin against us, we want to go tell other people, we want to let it stay in our heart, we want to harbor bitterness and harbor grudges, we want to even put it on social media. Now, Jesus says, you're supposed to go alone. If we don't do that, now we're in sin. You go alone. This is a commandment. And if they don't repent when we go alone and point out the sin alone, then you go and you bring some other people. Jesus says you go get one or two other people and you and you go and you, you go back to them and you point the sin out again and you try to make things right again, but this time you got witnesses. This time you got one or two with you so that every word can be confirmed. Hopefully the brother or sister will repent now that two or three have gone to them but if they still don't repent jesus says jesus says in verse 17 then you get the church involved notice the church is not involved up until you get to verse 17. step one is go along step two is take one or two with you and if they still don't repent then you tell it to the church you tell it to the church and maybe the church can use some persuasive skills. Maybe the collective local church, the local body, can have success working together to try to get this brother or sister to repent. But if the church can't persuade this person to repent, then, Jesus says, you let them be to you like a heathen or a Gentile and a tax collector. The idea there is you pull back fellowship. The relationship must change. You can no longer be in fellowship with these people because they're in sin. So Jesus describes a process, some things we need to do when a brother or sister is in sin or if they sin against us. In verse number 20 of this chapter, and this is probably one of the most misquoted and misapplied verses in the Bible, Jesus says that when we engage in this process— When we engage in the process of church discipline, he is in the midst. This is not talking about having a a, a church assembly where you got two or three people and, and you're saying, well, God's in the midst of us. While that may be true, that's not what the Lord is talking about in this verse. In this verse, in the context, he's talking about church discipline. When we engage in this process of helping a brother or sister get right with the Lord, the Lord says, I'm with you. I'm with you in this process. I'm with you when you go back with one or two more to try to get this person to repent. That's what the Lord is talking about. And I'm bringing this up because it's in this context. It's in this context where Peter digs a little deeper. It is in this context where Jesus brings up the topic of forgiving a brother or sister and how often we need to do that Jesus brings this up really Peter brings it up Peter wants to know Lord I hear what you've been saying about you know what we need to do when a brother or sister sins against us but how many times am I to do this How many times am I to forgive somebody who sins against me? Is seven times enough? That should be enough, right? I think it is important to point out that when Peter says this, when he says it's seven times enough, essentially, he probably thought he was being very generous by saying that. He probably thought that he was going the extra mile. You see, it's important for us to understand that during the time of the first century, most Jewish rabbis taught, they taught people to forgive three times. When somebody does you wrong, you forgive them three times, but, but no more. Now, that's what most Jewish rabbis taught. And so in Peter's mind, he's saying something that, exceeds the righteousness of the rabbis. He thinks he's suggesting something that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, and so he must have been shocked to hear the Lord's response. He must have been shocked to hear the Lord respond to him by saying, well, well, no, Peter, seven times is not enough, but I say to you, up to 70 times seven. Not just seven times, but up to 70 times seven. It is important for us to understand that these numbers that the Lord is referring to here are not meant to be taken literal. This is not a literal idea here. Here the Lord is using these numbers in a figurative way. He is using them to teach not limited forgiveness like Peter was suggesting. Instead, the Lord is using these numbers to talk about unlimited forgiveness. He is saying to Peter that the scribes and the Pharisees were wrong about this and you're wrong about this. There is no limit to the number of times that you should be willing to forgive a brother or sister who sins against you. That's what the Lord means in verse number 22. And to drive that point home, he tells a parable. He tells a parable. He tells a parable about a king. About a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. He wants to settle the debts of his slave. And there is one particular slave. That owes him 10,000 talents. There is one of his slaves that owes 10,000 talents. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a lot of money. That is actually equal to millions and millions of dollars in our money today. This man would never be able to repay, repay this debt he would not be able to repay this debt if he worked every day of his life for the rest of his life. There's no way in seven lifetimes would he be able to pay back this enormous debt. He owed his king a lot of money. But since he didn't have the means to repay, the Lord The Lord here in this parable, he commanded him to be sold. He says, you're going to be sold. Your wife is going to be sold. Your kids are going to be sold. All you possess is going to be sold. And in an effort to start making some restitution on this, everybody, you and all you have, it's it's going to be sold. Now, some may wonder, how in the world did this man accumulate this kind of debt? How in the world did he get in a a position where he owed his lord, his king, this much money? Well, I want to suggest there are many different reasons as to why this may have happened, but probably the most probable reason is this slave, this servant, was dishonest. He was a dishonest slave. He was a crooked and careless slave. He was unethical. He probably has spent many years doing just crooked and unethical things with the master's money. And now he's been caught. Now the books have been opened. now he has been called onto the red carpet to give an account for his dishonesty. The king has realized, has come to realize what he has done. And he says, you're going to suffer for this. You and all you possess and all your family, you're going to be sold into slavery and repayment is going to be made. And the slave, Jesus says, the slave begged for mercy. He begged for compassion. He begged for patience. He begged for for forgiveness. And the king When hearing his pleas for compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness and patience, he gave him that. His heart was touched by the pleas of this servant and he gave him compassion and he gave him grace and he gave him forgiveness. This meant that he totally released this man from the dead. He knew that this man could never pay back this enormous debt. And he totally wiped the slate clean. He eliminated the debt. He says, you don't even have to worry about it anymore. Now, that's a wonderful blessing. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, isn't, isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, put yourself in that slave's position. If you had this enormous debt that you could never pay back in seven lifetimes, and because of what you've done, You're going to be sold as a slave, and your whole family, your spouse, your kids, everything you have is going to be sold away. And the king hears your pleas, and he has compassion for you. He says, okay, you got a clean slate. You don't owe me anything else. I'm not, I am not going to make you repay any of this back. It doesn't get any better than that. This king gave him a tremendous blessing. But sadly, after he received this blessing, after he received this blessing of forgiveness, Jesus says that this slave went out and he found a fellow slave, an equal, who owed him a hundred denarii. To make that simple, that's just a few hundred bucks. God didn't owe him much money at all. And that fellow slave he begged for, for patience. He begged the man for, for grace, for mercy. He, he, he says, going back to, to verse number, to verse number 29, it says he fell on the ground and he pleaded with him. He says, "Have patience on me, and I'll repay you." He's asking for, for compassion and, and some forgiveness. But, Jesus says, this unmerciful slave, he refused to show any mercy. Now, remember, he had just been shown mercy for an enormous debt. But here, he's not going to show the same thing. He's not going to show mercy. Instead of showing mercy, he's very angry, the text, the text says. He actually takes this fellow slave, and he beats him, and he chokes him. He assaults him. He He throws him in, he throws him in jail. He says, you are going to stay in jail until the debt is repaid. He treated this fellow slave in such an ugly way for just a small debt. And in verse number 31, Jesus says, when the other slaves saw this, when they saw this transpiring, they were disturbed. They were grieved and hurt by this, and they went and told the king about it. They went and told the king about the actions of the unmerciful servant, and when the king found out about this, he was disappointed and he was angry. He actually summoned the unmerciful slave, and he, he required him, he commanded him to give an account for his actions. He, he, he asked him, why would you extend to your fellow slave the same thing that I extended to you? I forgave you. I showed you compassion and grace. I gave you a clean slate. I blessed you, even though I could have punished you. And why wouldn't you show that same kind of grace and compassion and patience for someone who owed you a much smaller debt? The king wants him to give an account. And after rebuking this slave. He said to him, I changed my mind. I changed my mind about you. Because of what you've done, I'm no longer going to extend to you forgiveness. I'm no longer going to give you a clean slate. Instead, I'm going to give you what you deserve. Instead, I'm going to make you suffer. Because you were unmerciful. You're going to suffer because you want to extend to someone else what I extended to you. Because you would not forgive your fellow slave. I'm not going to forgive you. Instead, I'm going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to hand you over to the torturers. And you're going to suffer you're going to suffer, you're going to experience pain, you're going to experience hurt, you're going to experience all these things because you have a wicked heart. Now, that in a nutshell is the parable that Jesus told about the unmerciful servant. And before we close this video, I want to offer you several points of application that I think we need to make. First, I think by studying this parable, we see, we need to understand that we owe a huge debt. We owe a huge debt. We owe a huge debt to God. We owe a huge debt to the Heavenly Father, and this debt has, not, has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with possessions, with earthly riches. Instead, this debt that we owe to God has to do with sin. It has to do with wicked and unholy behavior against God. In Romans 3 and verse number 23, the Apostle Paul says, For all, A-L-L, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says that I'm guilty of sin and you're guilty of sin and in Romans 6 and verse 23 he says that the wages of sin is death. When Paul talks about death there, he's talking about spiritual death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve because we've sinned. Because we've sinned. We all huge debt. We owe a debt that none of us could ever pay back. We've sinned against God and we deserve, the wage we deserve is spiritual death. Paul makes a similar point in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 when he describes our lives before we became Christians. He says that before you came to the Lord, he told the Ephesian brethren, you were dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. You see, we got to understand that in this parable, in this parable, the king, the Lord, the master that is mentioned, that represents God. That represents the creator. That represents the heavenly father, and the slave represents us. We are the slave that owes a tremendous debt to the king. We are the slave that owed the king such an enormous debt that there's no way we could ever repay it. So all we can do is beg and plead with him to forgive us and and just to give us a clean slate. We're that slave, and God has given us that clean slate if we're Christians. In fact, that brings us to the next point, and that is not only do we owe a huge debt to God, but as the parable suggests, God, the king, he's merciful. Even though we could never repay the debt that we owe, God is merciful. God has looked upon us with compassion and grace and patience. He has extended his compassion and forgiveness towards us. He is willing to forgive us of this enormous debt even though we don't deserve it. Even though there's no way we could ever, 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 ever pay it back. In Acts 2, in verse number 38, on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, after hearing that they were guilty of sin, they were guilty of killing Jesus. In Acts 2, in verse 37, 3,000 Jews asked Peter, after they heard the gospel, what shall we do? The implication of that is what shall we do to be saved? What shall we do to be right with God? What shall we do to receive God's forgiveness? In Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter told them to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice how even though these people in Acts 2 were guilty of sin, even guilty of killing Jesus, God extended his forgiveness towards them. God, through Peter, told them that if they repented and if they were immersed or baptized, he would forgive them. They would receive forgiveness of sins. That is what happened to those people 2,000 years ago when they obeyed God. That's also what happens to us when we repent and when we get baptized, when we humble ourselves before God. God forgives us. He gives us a fresh start. That's what being born again is all about, and even when we sin as Christians, even after we're baptized, and we sin against God, in First John chapter one, in First John chapter one, and in verse number 8, 1 John one and verse eight, John says, "If we," when he says "we," there he's talking about himself and other Christians, people who have been immersed for forgiveness of sins. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. He referring to God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, wipe it away, wipe away any sin that we've committed, cleanse us from all, every sin, from all unrighteousness. Oh, this is how, even though we owe this enormous debt, when we confess our sin when we acknowledge it, when we ask God to forgive us, God says, I am faithful to forgive you. I love you that much. I have that much compassion towards you. We owe a huge debt to God, the debt of sin. But thankfully, God is merciful. Thankfully, God is willing to forgive us. He extends forgiveness to us, but for us to receive God's forgiveness in addition to repenting, in addition to being baptized and in addition to confessing our sin, we also got to be willing to forgive other people. We got to be willing to forgive fellow slaves, brothers and sisters in Christ. This right here is really the main point of the parable. This is the main point of the parable, and I know that because Jesus says so. Going back to Matthew chapter 18... Verse number 35, after Jesus tells the parable in Acts 18 to verse 35, he says that after that king handeth that unmerciful slave over to be tortured, he says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. Jesus says that if we don't forgive fellow slaves, brothers and sisters in Christ, God won't forgive us. He won't forgive us. And I know somebody's thinking right now, well, but, but Sean, you, you just don't get it. You don't understand. You don't understand what that person did to me. You don't understand how they hurt me. You don't understand how they lied about me. They gossiped about me. They destroyed my name. They destroyed my reputation. They did things to me that, have, that has left permanent emotional damage. You don't understand, Sean. These people have hurt me deeply. Well, maybe I don't understand. Maybe I don't. But I want to tell you something that I do understand. I do understand this, that no matter what somebody may have done to you in your life, it doesn't even begin to compare to what you have done against God when you sinned against him. it doesn't begin to compare to what you have done against God when you violated his law. You see, here, Jesus is demanding, he is demanding that we demonstrate a quality of our Heavenly Father. He is demanding that we be fair. He is demanding that we be forgiving like God. He is saying that it is not right for God to extend to us what we are unwilling to extend to others for much, much smaller, much smaller debts. And Jesus doesn't just teach that, but that's found throughout the New Testament. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 32, if you want to jot this one down on your notes. Ephesians four thirty-two. Paul says, be kind to one another, tender hearted. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ Jesus has also forgiven you. Paul also says in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3 and verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you so also should you. Notice how this teaching right here of Jesus is found all, throughout, it's found all throughout the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, we are told that if we want God to forgive us, then we first must be willing to forgive other people. That is a core teaching of the New Testament, and that's teaching we all need to be reminded of from time to time. That's teaching that we all need to hear again from time to time due to the various conflicts that we get ourselves in as human beings. We need to be reminded of the need to have compassion and grace and a forgiving heart. Otherwise, Jesus says, God won't forgive us. And so the Lord is urging us not to let an unforgiving heart Keep us out of heaven. Learn from the unmerciful servant and extend to others what you want God to extend to you. That's our lesson. That's our lesson. And I hope that you'll be encouraged by it. I hope it will help you be more like Jesus. You know, I'm reminded of Jesus on the cross. Luke 23, 34, when Jesus' enemies were hurling insults at him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is a forgiving Savior. And let us strive to be forgiving people like him. In our next study, we're going to consider another parable of Jesus. We're going to look at some parables of judgment. Parables of judgment. Jesus told a lot of parables about judgment. And I want us to study those on Wednesday, and I hope you will join me for that. I think it will be something that will be worth our time. God bless you. Thank you.